everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. I'm Matthew Handley, and with me is our president and CEO, Ron Howergan. Ron, I don't think you got much snow down there in North Carolina, but I heard you might get some. Uh, we got some in the mountains. Okay. Uh, my son is at App State in Boone, and they have four inches. Um, so, uh, but we didn't get any here in the triangle. Yeah. Well, that's respectable, but I will one up you. Our, our community here in, in Northern Michigan got 33 and a half inches over the weekend. Uh, and we played the game, uh, with a couple of my friends about where did my wife's car go? Cause that doesn't get parked in the garage like my car does. So, uh, had fun digging myself out this weekend. Oh, better you than me. Yep. Uh, we got a couple different things to talk about today. Uh, the main thing we're going to be discussing is a new website launched by the Pennsylvania State Department of Insurance that allows patients to dispute claims that they think were improperly denied by their insurance company. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but first, we're hearing a lot from our clients at Fulcrum Strategies about the Medicare fee schedule, and uh, in part because Congress didn't act by the end of the year to do anything to the Medicare fee schedule. So, Ron, there's a cut that went into effect. How much was that cut? So it's a little bit different by specialty because there's some adjustments that happen with certain codes that different specialties bill. But across the board, it was a 3.37% cut to the conversion factor. Um, that went into place automatically because of the kind of cut that Congress has to overrule. Um, so inaction means doctors take a 3.3% cut this year. Mm-hmm. And that's on any contracts that are tied to a current year Medicare plan or Medicare patients. And that's one of the reasons we, I know we lobby so hard to get commercial contracts off of current year Medicare. Right, right. So it's bad enough that all the Medicare plans are going to be reduced by 3.37. But if any of our commercial contracts are, you know, tied to current year Medicare, then you're going to take a cut there as well, which makes it just adds insult to injury. Now, uh, of course, I we never discount uh, Congress's ability to screw things up, and we've seen this is now an instance where it's happened. Uh, is there any chance that this is going to get uh, drawn back? Are they going to make it retroactive, or is this going to be the, the Medicare fee schedule for entirety of 2024? Yeah, so there's still a chance that Congress could rule on this and could eliminate some or all of the cut. And there's a couple of different schools of thought there. There's some folks who are trying to get some legislation through that would get rid of some of the cut, you know, maybe drop it from 3.3 to only one and a half or 2% cut. Um, there's still some activity in DC to try to get rid of all of it. Mm -hmm. um, so those things could happen. If those things happen, they will more than likely be made retroactive to January 1. They don't have to, but that's what they've done in the past when they've been in this situation. But there's also a very significant chance that they won't do anything on it. And again, inaction means this cut stays there. And then this cut will um, will continue for the rest of the year. Should providers be holding claims uh, for some period of time in, in hopes that the, the cut, they won't have to go reprocess those claims for, you know, a few dollars here or there? Yeah. You know, what I tell our clients in that scenario is if you can hold claims for another week or two, um, you know, so let's call it till the end of January without sure. having a really nasty cash flow hit or whatever, I would do it because if this is going to be resolved, it's likely to be resolved in the next week or two. They've never really gone much past the end of January without finalizing things. You know, if obviously you're in a cash position where you really need to drop them, go ahead and drop the claims. Um, 
but uh, for the most part, if you know, if you can stand another week or two, then I would hold on to him. Uh, and, and finally, on this topic, Ron, we I want to do a little bit of a refresher as to why the fee schedule gets cut every year, and, and because it seems like you know we've talked about this before, is that in, inflation and cost of living, uh, and it, pretty much everything else has gone up since time began, if you think about it that way. But the Medicare fee schedule is something that gets cut every year. So why why is it that Congress cuts the fee schedule every year, or tries to at least? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a combination, in my opinion, of two things. One is if they don't cut it, it has a pretty dramatic impact on the 10-year budget deficit projection. And so nobody wants to be the side that um, increases this reimbursement and then the other side can say, well, you just spent X trillions of dollars over 10 years because it will flow through to the 10-year budget deficit projection that CBO does. So in some respects, it's a little bit of accounting you know, game here. Well, if I cut a little bit or I let a small cut happen, that makes me look better for the next 10 years. And it ignores the long-term concern about what happens when doctors just stop seeing Medicare. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. one part of it. The other part of it, and I'll use Social Security as a as a um, uh, a comparison. Okay, well, Social Security again is a government program that if you add money to so everybody's Social Security checks. Um, you're going to increase the deficit projection. But Social Security does go up with inflation. Why? Because there's a huge block of voters, namely all those over 65 cashing Social Security checks, that would absolutely decimate you if you didn't as Mm -hmm. a politician. The problem is doctors haven't been a block of voters, you know, by themselves in a uniform sense. And there's only about a million of them. There's a whole lot more seniors that vote than, than that. And the government's been away, been able to get away with just continuing to cut doctors because doctors continue to see these patients. Mm-hmm. And at some point, that's got to break. It's sort of that, and I've, you know, I've used this analogy in the past. It's sort of like asking the woman in an abusive relationship, you know, why does he keep beating you? Because you don't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and doctors keep seeing these patients and taking less money to do it. And that's unfortunate. So to me, that's that's the reason why they keep cutting it, because they can. And because they don't have to worry about upsetting a huge block of voters like they would if they cut Social Security. Mm-hmm. I, I do know there's a few uh, physicians in Congress, one of them being from from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it'd be interesting to see if any of these types of things get resolved in the next, you know, I'll be generous and say the next decade or so. Uh, but that's 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 a topic for another day. We don't have to try and solve the yep. Medicare problem on the the flatlining podcast <laughs> today. Uh, instead, we're gonna you know do what we can uh, to solve a payer problem. And I think we've made a good effort on this front, Ron. After our very uh, successful and moving interview we had with Dr. Hurley last year, may he rest in peace. Uh, and that's about denying improperly denying medical claims so this has become a major issue uh in front of uh, congress has been taking a look at it in, in certain in certain circles uh and it has been made the payers subject to class action lawsuits as well uh ron let's talk a little bit about what some of these are i know you were interviewed for ProPublica for a couple of their stories um we're seeing now these payers denying claims that they are shouldn't be denying, and that is having a negative impact on patients. Uh, Dr. Hurley shared his story here on the Flatlining Podcast about that. What are we seeing right now in the legal and and uh, in the legislative spheres to try and stop that? 
Well, as you mentioned, there's there's some class action lawsuits. There's some lawsuits against the payers, which hopefully will um, penalize them enough to want to change. And I say that because it's it's a little bit like that, you know, people understand that classic story of a business, let's say an auto manufacturer saying, well, what's cheaper, doing the recall or paying all the, you know, the claims of people who get an accident because of a faulty product. Mm-hmm. The same thing, you know, these lawsuits against the carriers, if those payments, those lawsuit penalties um, are significantly less than the amount of money they save by inappropriately denying claims, they're going to keep doing it. You've got to make it you know, the pain of the change less than the pain of the status quo. Um, but there are some some lawsuits there. Same thing with legislative. Because there's starting to be so much light shed on these, like the Dr. Hurley story, like the ProPublica story of the Cigna auto denials, you know, like the, the story about the United denial for the kid at Penn State, um, it creates uncomfortableness for legislators and they feel like they've got to do something about it. Now I've yet to see anything major coming in legislation that would truly fix it. Um, right now it's a lot of, uh, a lot of talk, but not a whole lot of legislation. Mm-hmm. And I've yet to see the kind of massive, let's call it the tobacco company sure. kind of class yeah. action suit. We get one of those where the carriers get hit for a few billion dollars. Then we're going to start to see some change. Um, but it's a good step in the right direction. We just need to keep it up. Yeah. Um, whose responsibility do you think it is to rain other? I mean, obviously the insurance companies ought to have a responsibility to not be doing this, but from a policing standpoint, whose responsibility do you think it is to kind of put the the clamp down on this? Is it the legal sphere? Is it the federal or state legislatures? You know, who do, who do you think should do it? Yeah, see, and I think one of the problems is we don't have a police officer right now, not a good one, and not one with a whole lot of authority to it. Um, I'm not a a huge favor of government is always the solution. In general, I'm more of a limited government kind of guy. But there are some things that, because of the nature of it, I do think requires government action. Let me me give you a perfect example. OSHA, Mm -hmm. okay? OSHA was created because at the time, factories really didn't have an incentive to make a safe workplace for their workforce. Because if somebody got hurt or died in the factory, I didn't get sued for that much money and I could replace them pretty easily with another human being that would do it. And so we realized there wasn't a market force that would make factories be safe and we had to create an environment. And, and, you know, it worked. Factories are much safer now than they were. And it's because these factories know that OSHA can make really nasty penalties or shut you down. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't have that on the healthcare side. When you see a story like what United did to that poor kid at Penn State, yep. when you see Cigna auto denying tens of thousands of claims with a computer algorithm, when you see these things, where's the police officer and where's the penalty? So I think this may be one of those areas where the marketplace really isn't going to do it by itself. And there's going to have to be some entity and probably some governmental entity like an OSHA to where when somebody gets inappropriately denied, they can easily go somewhere and say, review this. And when they find a pattern of behavior, not just one, because everybody makes mistakes, but when they find a pattern of behavior, it's the kind of entities that can shut you down or can find you to the point where it's incentive enough not to do it again. Mm -hmm. I really think that's got to be the answer, um, unfortunately. 
Well, you know, it's interesting you talk about OSHA. That's, I think that's a great example. And even when it comes to patient safety in a hospital setting, uh, no one wants to be sanctioned by Medicare. That you know, those CMS sanctions, those are those are hefty sanctions on on facilities. Um, so it'd be interesting to see something like that come down the pike from Department of Health and Human Services. But I think you're right. That's that doesn't seem to be coming anytime soon. That's why I was so interested when I saw this week, speaking of Pennsylvania and Penn State, uh, the State Department of Insurance there has launched a new website uh, that allows patients to submit claims that they think were improperly denied, and the state will submit it to a a third party to review it. And they have assured that the third party is has no conflict of interest with your particular insurance company. Uh, and it has a set of requirements. You know, you have to, the insurance has to be provided by your employer, has to be purchased directly from an insurance company, has to be sold through the state marketplace. Uh, it does not apply to Medicaid or CHIP because those have their own uh, grievance pr- uh, processes already. Um, but Ron, in order for you to have your claim reviewed by this independent review board, you have to have had a final adverse benefit determination letter from your payer. What is that? What is that that patients get and how would they get something like that? Yeah, so um, when you get a denial, you'll get communication from the carrier. Most states have state law that requires that they let you know. I will tell you from personal experience, these are incredibly convoluted letters and they're on purpose. So I had a, um, a claim denied years ago when I had some knee surgery. It was for the anesthesia. And you get this letter saying your claim's been reviewed and we've denied it and it has all of this language in it. It's very confusing. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it sort of tells you how you how to appeal if you want to appeal. Okay. Now, I'm in the industry, so I appealed because I knew the denial was wrong. I got a almost immediate, we've reviewed your appeal and we've denied your appeal, again, by the insurance company. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to a final level of appeal, here's where you go. And now you've got to fill out even more paperwork. Now, again, because I'm in the industry, I, in my final level appeal, cited the actual North Carolina general statute that they were in violation of through this denial. Mm -hmm. And then amazingly enough, it got paid. Wow. But there are very few people that know how to do that. Okay. Yep. So what the Pennsylvania thing is saying, which is a good step in the right direction, is once you go through all of that, you've exhausted the internal stuff, which I don't necessarily disagree with letting the carrier look at it first and go, oh, hey, I made a mistake. Here you go. Okay. That needs to be streamlined and much easier. But once the carrier has gone through all those levels and you've you've hit that last denial, um, then you can send it to this website. But also then under the, only under the parameters you talked about with it, it has to be purchased from an insurance company. It has to be this, et cetera. So since it completely excludes all self-funded large employers, mm-hmm. and that's partly because the state of Pennsylvania can't do anything with that. That's ERISA. It means that really probably only about 20% of all the people in Pennsylvania carrying a commercial insurance card could avail themselves of this process. And they don't know whether they're self-insured or fully insured. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's one problem with it. The other problem is all of these layers of appeals. What if the denial is for a prior authorization for a brain MRI? And you need to get that done to rule out, and I'm just picking something, an aneurysm or a neuroblastoma or something. You're going to have to wait throughout that whole. So there really isn't sort of an expedited kind of a thing. We're not talking about legal appeals on 
rent money here. We're talking about healthcare stuff. Right. So the other problem I have with that whole process, while well, it's a step in the right direction, it also doesn't create a fast track of this is critical for me. I need to to get this done. And I think back to, you know, the the story in Wendell Potter's book, Deadly Spin, and the family who was on the media pressing for their daughter to get this transplant and pushing and pushing and pushing and all that they had to do to try to get that. And the day that they found out that, yes, Cigna had finally agreed to pay for it was when they learned that their daughter had passed away a couple hours earlier than that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. you know, yeah, this is, I like to see states doing this. They need to take a more active role, but it's, it's a whole lot more that needs to happen to really, you know, fix this process in the system. Right. Now I was intrigued because this is coming from a, a state legislature. And, and as we mentioned before, it's from a state where uh, there was a significant problem in, and ProPublica revealed that with the Penn state student. Um, I know you said it's a step in the right direction and you have concerns about some of the pitfalls here, but how big of a step in the right direction do you think it is? Do you think it's a, a significant step or do you think it's only a minor step? Well, I think it depends on whether you look at this from a micro or macro perspective. Okay. If you're the one patient that gets this, that it works for, you know, you, you, you get to the end of the line, you, you file it to the state, the state sends it to external review, external review says, no, this is medically necessary and you get it. Then for you, it's a huge step. Now, if you think about it from a macro perspective, how many unnecessary denials is this likely to overturn out of the universe of unnecessary denials? Very small percentage. Sure. Um, just because the, the vast majority of the people are covered by a large self-funded employer and this process can't be applied to them. And then there's going to be a huge part of that population that isn't going to know how to file those initial appeals or is going to get lost in the paperwork. So, you know, we're talking about um, a great thing for politicians to tout and, and I don't want to diminish it. It's a good step, but I would say it's probably going to impact my guess is less than 5% of what it really should. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a new website created by the Pennsylvania Department of Insurance that allows patients to uh, request reviews of, of denied health insurance claims uh, after they've exhausted the internal uh, appeal process with their insurance company. Um, Ron, I'd be interested to see, and I haven't seen anything about this, that you know whether or not there is or if there should be some sort of um, sanction or punishment on the insurance carriers if the state or their, or rather their in uh, their independent um, review boards that they've contracted have determined that they indeed improperly denied uh, a claim that you know there there ought to be some in my opinion there there ought to be some sort of um, repercussion for that that has now cost the state money to have to go back and tell them no you really should have had to cover that what do you think about a uh, an idea like that. Well, I, I think there there needs to be consequences to bad behavior, just in general. Okay, um, and let's use the you you brought up earlier the Medicare sanction piece to hospitals. Sure. Well, there's also that for the Medicare Advantage plans. You know, take a look at Cigna with its auto denial issue. Okay, where it's denying tens of thousands of things without reviewing them. That same company, Cigna, over its lifetime, had CMS sanctioned them on their Medicare product for doing bad behavior mm -hmm. by closing their ability to sell that product for almost two years. Okay. They said, you, you stop doing that. You don't get to do that anymore. 
And then most recently, fining them $172 million for submitting falsified information. So, you know, that's a perfect example of an entity going, no, no, you're a bad actor and here's your punishment. Can you imagine, for example, what Wall Street would do to it? I'll pick a company, United Healthcare. Let's take the, the Penn State thing. Let's say that there was a review entity that looked at it and said, you know what, this Penn State thing is a pattern of behavior. And we think that you're doing this intentionally, et cetera. So United Healthcare, you now can't sell any new business, whether it's self-funded or fully insured, for the next year. Their mm-hmm. stock price would go through the floor. Yeah. Okay. Now, that's a huge incentive for the executives at United Healthcare who rely on that stock price for their compensation to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, so, yes, I do think there should be some penalties, including in the state situation, if they have to spend money to do this stuff, to say, fine, now you have to pay for this. I shouldn't have to pay taxpayer money to do this when it's your bad behavior. Ron, uh, that's about all the time we have today. Uh, I appreciate you talking to us and uh, sharing a little bit more insight on on this. I'm interested to see if other states follow suit. I, I have yet to see if they will, but it's interesting Pennsylvania is leading the way after we talked about that other story there in the state. Uh, so, Ron, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me today to talk about it. No problem. It's a pleasure as always. And before we leave... Let's go Lions. Yes. Let's, yes. I mean, go we, Lions. I, you know what? I was very excited. We're, no, we're not a sports podcast, but you know what? First playoff win in over 30 years and the first playoff game ever played in Ford Field. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if you're a Tampa Bay fan, but I, I, I hope you'll lose this weekend. I'm sorry. And, and so a lot of clients in Florida, so. <laughs> yeah. So that everybody understands just how much we, we Lions fans suffer. The last time the Lions won two playoff games in a row was 1957. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yep. you know, we, we are due and just let us have this year, please. Yep. So, but anyways, thanks for having me on. I always yep. enjoy the conversation. And if you're a physician and you've, you've seen some of your patients get claims denied that you really shouldn't think be denied or prior authorizations, let us know. We'd like to hear from you and hear what your experience is and, and how you either did or didn't overcome insurance care. You can leave a comment and we'll reach out to you or you can connect with me on X. I'm at Radio Handling. Have a good week. Miss an episode of the Flatlining Podcast? Well, now you can read a recap. Just go to flatlining.net and look right there on the homepage every Monday for a written recap on last week's episode.